Welcome back to the Exoteric Cleric. I am your host, Pastor Jason Salyers, making recordings of great stories from my little friends at Hinsdale Adventist Academy. We are continuing with our book, Swift Arrow, reading chapter three, called At Home on the Frontier. No matter how busy Pa was, he always took time every night after supper to read several chapters from the Big Family Bible. He read them out loud while the whole family listened. One night, Pa had just begun to read when he suddenly stopped. Why, Marcus, what is wrong? Ma asked. Prudence, move away from that window, Pa said. I thought I heard something outside. By this time, George was standing on tiptoe looking out the people on the door. What do you see out there, son? Pa asked. Pa, there's two Indians walking down the front path just as plain as you please. What do you suppose they want? Don't know, son but I reckon we'll find out soon. Prudence, take the children away from the door. Then Pa unbarred the door and threw it open. George felt scared enough to cry, but remembered what Pa had said about not showing fear. The two Indians stopped at the doorway, raised their hands in greeting, and rubbed their hands over their stomachs. Many days, no food, one of them said with difficulty. Pa smiled. Say, Prudence, these fellows seem to be saying they're hungry. How about rustling them up some food? Then the Indians came inside and stood looking around at the strange house. This gave George a good chance to look them over. Their skin was darker than his. They had long black hair and dark eyes. What clothes they wore were made from animal skins, and they didn't look too clean. He noticed, in particular, they didn't smile at all. Maybe they're nervous too, he thought and he had to smile to himself at the idea that these wild-looking people might be nervous. After that, Indians stopped by the houses of the various settlers every few days, and the women always fixed them some food. Now the settlers were more careful than ever to be on their guard. At first, George thought the appearance of the friendly Indians meant they didn't have to worry anymore. When he mentioned this to his father, Pa shook his head. No, George, we still have a reason to be careful, because now we know for sure that Indians live around here. There are whole tribes that believe the settlers have cheated them out of their land, and they're determined to get back and get revenge, too. There's another thing to consider. Remember those soldiers who passed through here a few weeks ago? They told us there's a war going on between England and the colonies. It seems the Indians are using it to take advantage of the colonists. Then, when Pa saw a concerned look cloud George's face, he ruffled George's hair and said, Don't look so worried, boy. Remember, even though we live with danger, there's good Indians as well as bad ones. You remember that. As an extra precaution, Pa never went any distance from the house without taking the whole family along. Soon all the families were doing the same. One morning, when George was busy splitting kindling, Pa called him to get in the wagon and go with the family to the Stewarts. Ah, oh, Pa, I'm just in the middle of this. Why don't the rest of you go on and let me finish? Pa walked over and pulled him sharply by the arm. George, you don't seem to understand. Did I ever tell you about what happened in Deerfield? Deerfield? Ain't that a town up in Massachusetts? George asked as he climbed into the wagon seat. That's right. It was an outpost that had trouble with Indians. Finally, the Indians attacked the place, killing a lot of people and stealing a boy about your age. He was lucky because he found his way back. We don't want any Indians stealing you, George. That's why we take you with us. George just grinned. What would Indians want with me? I'm too little. 
Well, we're just not taking any chances, Pa said. They soon came in sight of the Stewart clearing, and Robert ran out to meet them. Say, Pa, George said, I hope the Indians never get a hold of Robert. I think that being away from his mother would kill him. If the Indians didn't kill him first, Pa said, shaking his head. Indians don't think much of crybabies, and I'm afraid Mrs. Stewart is not even getting that boy ready for life in a peaceful frontier settlement, much less for some emergency that might come up. George and Robert spent the day helping their fathers dig stumps out of the ground that Mr. Stewart wanted to plant for the next spring. George enjoyed the work and made a game of trying to keep up with the men, but Robert got tired quickly and stopped often to rest. The next morning, the Stewarts came to the Boylan's house to clear trees from some land that Pa wanted to plant the next spring. That was the day George had an unusual accident that he used to be happy for years later. He was hacking away at some tough branches with all his might, when suddenly the head of his hatchet flew off and came down and dug into the top of his head. George felt a sharp, fiery sting as the blade hit him. Then all went black. When he awoke a few minutes later, the whole forest seemed to be swimming around him. Pa bent over, holding something to the back of George's head. Pa's face looked as white as snow. How you feel, son? My head is whirling, Pa. Everything's going round in circles. Well, you'll be all right as soon as we get you back to the cabin, Pa said. Pa and Mr. Stewart made a saddle of their hands and carried George to the house. Ma washed the wounds and put a tight bandage across it. Then George spent almost two weeks lying on his mother and father's big, plump feather bed. Whenever he tried to get up, the room started whirling again, but he felt ashamed to lie in bed while everyone else worked. Mother kept the deep cut wet with arnica so it would not fester, and the arnica always stung like bees and ants when she put it on him. Finally, the day came when Ma said he could get up and walk around, and before long, he was working again like normal. A long, jagged scar formed over the place where the cut had been. George was glad his thick hair covered it up. By the time the weather turned cold that fall, the settlers had stored away plenty of vegetables they had harvested from their early spring plantings. They stored them in root holes dug in the ground. The fruit trees they had planted still looked like leafy buggy whips, but the settlers had no trouble finding crab apples, wild plums, and huckleberries in the forest. Pa robbed a bee tree of enough honey to give a crockful to every family in the settlement. Ma made George and Zella study their reading, writing, and arithmetic, and she helped them work the arithmetic problems on slates they had brought with them. The family spent the evenings around the fireplace popping corn and cracking nuts. George enjoyed the winter, but he was anxious for spring to come. Pa was just as eager. He talked all winter of the piece of land at the top of the hill that he wanted to clear for spring planting. It's level and the ground is as black as my boot, he declared, looking restlessly out the window at the snow-covered fields. I declare it's April and still snowing. I've never seen the cold hang on so long. No, yes you have, Ma said laughing. You're just restless, Marcus. I'm restless too, George said, flexing his muscles proudly. I want to do some work myself. Well... I'll admit you sure have grown this winter, Pa said. Look at all the new clothes your ma had to make to replace the ones you've outgrown. You're going to be a big help to me this year, even bigger than you were last year, I reckon. The days grew gradually warmer and the early spring sunshine melted the snow. Finally, the day arrived when the Stewart family drew up their wagon beside the boiling cabin, 
ready to help Pa with spring plowing. George felt so happy that he wanted to run all over the house and shout, but he settled for just running outside in the outside and hollering, Whoopee! Come on, Robert! I'll race you to the big oak tree! As usual, George finished the race far ahead of Robert, but Robert didn't seem to mind. George noticed that Robert looked thinner than ever and decided he must have been sick most of the winter. When they got back to the cabin, Mom made them sit down with a rest and drink a cup of hot sassafras tea with honey. Mrs. Stewart was delighted to sit at the long, smooth table and sip her tea. I do declare, she said, I do like to get away from my own four walls for a change. How nice your cabin looks, Prudence. Ma smiled brightly. She had a knack for fixing things, and her work-worn hands had done much to make the big room look homey and comfortable. I have good helpers, she said modestly, nodding to Pa and George. The men are always tinkering around here on rainy days. They even pegged me those shelves here this winter. Neat shelves with smaller pegs underneath lined the side of the fireplace. Ladles, dippers, kettles, and big iron spoons hung from the pegs. A butter mold, tin candlesticks, a lantern of punched tin, a butter paddle, and several pretty dishes were arranged on the two shelves. A third shelf held an expensive clock which Ma was particularly proud of. The fourth shelf held the family library, the big Bible, a battered copy of Pilgrim's Progress, a faded speller, and several reading and arithmetic books. By now, Pa and Mr. Stewart were anxious to get to the plowing. They got up to leave. You boys wait a while before coming up so that when you come, you can bring us some cool water. Fill your buckets at the spring halfway up the hill. Bring your hatchets too. That way you can help us some. After the men left for the new field, George did some chores for his mother. First he dipped water for her from the spring behind the house. Then he carried in a stack of firewood and rebuilt the fire in the fireplace. Finally he caught a chicken that she wanted to roast for dinner. By the time George and Robert started out for the field, it was almost 10 o'clock. As the boys walked along swinging water buckets, George thought he had never seen a more beautiful spring day. Rays of sunlight filtered through the trees. Early spring flowers nodded in the breeze, and the leaves whispered in the treetops. It seemed that every bird in the forest was singing, and, except for Pa's repeated warnings about controlling his feelings, George could have sung with them. Looking back on that day, George could never figure out how one that had begun so beautifully could end so horribly. That concludes Chapter 3. Join us tomorrow for Chapter 4 of Swift Arrow.